Let's do today for real what some of you all did in mid-October, which is turn ourselves towards Christmas. Are there anybody here who's the early Christmas adopters? Yeah, like how early did you set your tree up, Carly? Just tell me. December 1st? November 1st. It's good, it's good. Anyone beat November 1st? Anyone a little earlier than any October people? Yeah, the Tefs aren't here. They're, they, got, they set up their tree like in August. It's that time of year where there's cookies and carols and friendship and frivolity and most pastors and most churches are preaching those loving, glowing symbols of Christmas like faith, joy, hope, lights. They're full of these warm, cuddly, hot cocoa and fire messages. And uh, that's not what we're doing here today. This is unexpected Christmas, and so we're going to turn ourselves to something a little bit different. Today's message is entitled, Conspiracy or King? The working title, another title that I had going was just simply this. Hey, don't be Herod. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be Herod. Don't be Herod. Don't be Herod. Did you say it to somebody? Joe, did you say it? <laughs> We talk a lot about a lot of people at Christmas time. Of course, we talk about Jesus. We talk about Mary and Joseph. We talk about the angels, the shepherd, the wise men. How many wise men were there? Nobody knows. Good answer. Y'all are such a smart church. We think there's three wise men because there's three gifts, but the Bible never actually says a number that could have been 50, could have been two. We have no idea. We talk about all of these characters, but we often fail to talk about King Herod. And if you read the, the biblical story, the Christological birth story of Jesus and Matthew, there's two chapters, Matthew chapter one and Matthew chapter two. Most of Matthew chapter one deals with the genealogy of Jesus going all the way back to Adam. Most of chapter two deals with Herod. Like 18 verses, even 19 if you extend just one verse, about Herod. And it's this major part of the Christmas story, but we often don't want to hear about Herod because really, Herod's just not the one you want to talk about. Herod is essentially the Grinch of the story. He's the Ebenezer Scrooge. Jesus showed up and Herod said, bah humbug. That's not exactly what he said, but he had a choice to make when Jesus arrived on the scene between believing that Jesus and his followers and all this story about Jesus, he didn't have followers when he was born yet, uh, but essentially that it was a conspiracy, just another conspiracy to overthrow himself as king, Herod as king, or he could have chosen to recognize that Jesus, as we will just read here in a second in Matthew chapter two, was actually the true king of the Jews. Herod was just a placeholder for the real king of the Jews named Jesus. Herod got to choose, and you probably know how the story went. He did not choose wisely. He chose poorly. So let's learn from him, because if we don't learn from him, we will learn like him. Do you understand the difference? Learning from him means he's already learned the hard way and paid the price, so we don't need to pay the price and learn the hard way ourselves. We just learn from his life, or we can learn like him and walk through this ourselves and choose conspiracy instead of choosing king. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Mm -hmm. So let's hear Herod's story as told by Matthew in the 
Gospel of Matthew. If you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Chris Spindler will bring you one, or Mr. Hansen will bring you one. Mbop. Anyone? <laughs> Some of you understood that. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the story of Herod. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, these are the wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked in Jerusalem, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? These magi saw his star when it rose, and now they've come to worship him. These magi are these eastern, really studious, wise people. They see in the stars, this star rising. They know it's the star, the king of the Jews, and they come to worship him. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he said, uh-oh. He was disturbed, and it recounts all Jerusalem was also disturbed with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked all the smartest people where the Messiah was to be born. And they replied, in Bethlehem, in Judea, for this is what is written uh, for this is what the prophet has written, verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. To them, this was a no-brainer, known fact. Everybody knows the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. It's been prophesied. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. Now we're having a little conspiracy, uh, conspiratorial. Uh, meeting and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, hey, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And you can almost see Herod standing there with his fingers crossed behind his back, right? Tell me where the baby Jesus, the king of the Jews is so that I can go and, and worship him. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, notice this, Jesus is no longer in the manger. He's moved from manger to house. Jesus is no longer an infant. In fact, they call him a child here. He might be one or two years old at this point. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in the dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Verse 13, when they had gone, when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph also in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape down to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Jesus. Verse 14, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he's furious and he gives an order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This isn't just a myth or a fable. This is an actual order that went out from the king of the Jews to kill all the baby boys that are two years and younger in and around Bethlehem. That 
excuse me, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This Herod mentioned in this part of the scripture is known as Herod the Great. It's his distinguishing name because uh, it, it, it may not surprise you, he's not the only Herod to live. He's the first Herod, the first king of the Jews to be named Herod, but his sons and grandsons also take on the name. So later in the Gospels, later in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, you'll hear them speaking about Herod, but it's not this Herod. It's a different Herod. In the, gospel, in the book of Acts, you'll hear them talking about a few Herods, Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa. Uh, you'll hear them talking about all these Herods, and they're all not the same person, and that is important for us to note today. This is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was appointed the ruler of Judea, the, the nation of Judea, its surrounding regions, by Caesar Augustus. Augustus means exalted one. So we have the exalted Caesar named Octavian, who appoints Herod as king of the Jews, even though Herod is not Jewish. Herod is a Eudemian, which means he's from Edom, which is a nation kind of to the southeast of where Jesus, uh, where Jerusalem is. Herod rules from about 37 BC to about 4 BC, which might make your calendar brain start to wonder wait a second, Herod was done at 4 BC, but I've been told that Jesus was born in 0 AD, but the truth is the guy who wrote it down, the calendar, they messed it up thousands of years ago. Jesus was actually born in 6 BC and therefore was alive for the last two years of Herod's reign that we're reading about right here in Matthew chapter two. They called him Herod the Great, because though he was tyrannical and a terrible leader, he was really great at nation building. He really did a great thing for Jerusalem, Judea, the surrounding regions, Galilee, all these areas. He, he was a great builder. The temple, the, the city of Jerusalem, the town walls, other structures, they built them incredibly. The culture, the nation flourished under Herod. He essentially made Jerusalem, Judea great again. They had red turbans that said M-J-G-A on. <laughs> Thank you for your laughs of pity. So they called him Herod the Great, but instead of Herod the Great, maybe what they ought to have called him was Herod the Conspiracy Theorists. We're familiar with this term, aren't we? There's a few conspiracies floating around these days. A conspiracy is simply a secret plan or plot to undertake something illegal or harmful. Basically, conspiracy is meant to deceive or bring about truth to somebody who is deceiving us. Like, hey, you guys were working a conspiracy and now we're making this theory to explain how you were trying to dupe us. Maybe you remember some famous conspiracies like the moon landing conspiracy. There are those who believe that the lunar landing never happened. 
that it was faked in some big building that they took pictures of and the guys were bouncing around somehow. And yet, what's interesting to note is that there's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of lunar rocks in and laboratories all across the globe that every single scientist who's ever had one of these rocks in their hands says these are extraterrestrial. They have not come from Earth, and they all have come from the, the, the moon. So how do we get those rocks if we never went? So that's a moon landing conspiracy. Did you know that there's a conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney died in 1966? I didn't know that till this week that there are people who believe that Paul McCartney got in a fight with Ringo and the other Beatles, I can't remember their names, John Lennon, George, straight, George Harrison, yes. That would have been a different kind of sound. And that he got in a fight with him in the studio, ran out into the road, and a car hit him, and he, he lost his head. The, the conspiracy theory actually uses the word decapitated. It's like, this is, who thinks of this thing? Right, And so from 1966 to today, because this Paul McCartney guy is still alive, right? Uh, we've been seeing a look-alike, sound-alike guy. People really believe this. And they look at the uh, cover of Abbey Road, you know, when they're walking across the crosswalk. All three of the other Beatles are all like this, right? They got their legs like this. But Paul McCartney's legs are like this. And Paul McCartney is the only one who's not wearing shoes. And so they say, CCC, they're giving us clues that this isn't one of the Beatles. <laughs> People believe this. I'm, maybe you do hear it. I'm insulting you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Have you heard of the chemtrail conspiracy? Chemtrail. This is where people believe that every contrail you see coming from behind a jet is full of government-placed chemicals meant to biologically uh, condition our behavior or to eliminate population, biological warfare coming down from the jets. So like they're loaded in the, the, the and we all, right? <laughs> it's going to make you look at a contrail differently. Like, Hold your breath, right? There's a conspiracy about COVID. This, uh, isn't that shocking? It's, this one's actually funny. It's called the 5G COVID conspiracy, where people believe that the cell companies conspired with the government to put up 5G towers, and the 5G towers actually emit immunosuppressors so that when COVID was introduced to the world, we'd all get sick because the 5G towers made us all weak. <laughs> Can you hear me now? We need a Disney conspiracy, don't we? I mean, because we live like here. Did you know that there are people who believe that Disney never died, Walt Disney? He has been cryogenically frozen like Han Solo at the end of Empire Strikes Back, and his body is frozen at Disneyland somewhere, not Disney World. He's over in California, under the Haunted Mansion. See, we have a, a believer, Annalise. What's that? There's one door. So we're, le we're learning so much more about this, right? But Disney's daughter has proof that Disney, this may hurt your heart, was cremated. So he's not frozen. They should have named the movie Barbecued. 
Sorry. We'll just say that the, this, uh, this theory is a little misleading about Disney. Um, we'll leave it at that. I, the reason I bring up all these conspiracies is because I want you to see the lengths that people go to to believe something that isn't the truth. They convince themselves in these conspiracies. Now, there's some conspiracies that turn out to be true, right? So we can't just get rid of all of this. But there are sometimes we go to these extreme lengths to make ourselves believe something that isn't the truth. And it's exactly what we see Herod doing in this set of circumstances to maintain control of his kingdom. He not only believes that there are people conspiring against him, but he makes his own conspiracies against Jesus so that he can maintain control instead of doing the thing that might have brought him the most joy, the most peace, the most blessing, which would be to relinquish the kingdom to the true king. I'm sure, I'm almost positive, that no one here has ever done what Herod did. Right? No one here has ever had the opportunity to allow Jesus to be the king of something, but instead of allowing Jesus to be the king, we conspire with our own truth and do things in our own way. I'm sure nobody here has ever done that. It's easy for us to judge Herod. Herod the not-so-great, Herod the dummy, Herod the tin-hat fool until we realize that there are some areas in our own lives, potentially, I don't, I don't want to say for sure, that we've done exactly the same thing. We have failed to relinquish control to the one who could actually bring order and peace to the areas of our lives that we're trying to maintain control over, be the king over. So there's three conspiracies that I want to lift today from the scriptures that we read that Herod participated in that you may potentially be participating in because it's the lesson that we can learn from Herod's part of the Christmas story. And it's a huge part of the Christmas story that we can't just pass over and get to the cookies and carols and faith, joy, hope, love, light. Three conspiracies. The first is the deception conspiracy. Everyone say deception yeah, Matthew, the book of Matthew was written to a specific audience. All the Gospels were written to specific audiences. Matthew wrote to Jews, specifically Greek-speaking Jews. They had been under Rome's control, Greece, their control so long that they had begun speaking the language of their oppressors. It'd be like if China invaded the United States of America 200 years from now, we'd all be speaking Chinese. It just would happen. This would happen for the Jews. They had been invaded. They were being oppressed. So many of them became Hellenistic Jews. You might have heard this word before, meaning they're Greek-speaking Jews. And Matthew is really trying to reach this audience specifically. He's trying to convince them that this Jesus, who's just been on the earth, was actually the Messiah. And therefore, in Matthew, more than any of the other Gospels, he refers repeatedly to prophecies that came from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. There's about 20 of them in the book of Matthew. 20 of these prophecies fulfilled. And interestingly enough, in chapter 2, the first 18 verses, we get three of these prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled, that Herod denies as truth. 
The first one is found in verse six. We already read it, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is a direct quote from Matthew to Micah chapter five, verse two, which was written about 700 years prior to the arrival of Jesus. 700 years they have been told this is what's going to happen. 700 years of people knowing in Bethlehem the Messiah will be born. When Herod asks his smartest people, where's he gonna be born? They're all like, well, everybody knows. Micah told us 700 years ago, we've been waiting for the Messiah to arrive in Bethlehem. Herod's like, nah, 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 nah. I don't wanna hear it. I don't believe it. Verse 14, we get the second prophecy, which comes from Hosea chapter 11, verse one, a short short prophecy, out of Egypt I have called my son. This refers to two things. First of all, to the people of God who were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years being called forth. Moses says, let my people go. They march to the Red Sea and eventually, after some wandering, get to the promised land, but it also refers here to Jesus being called up out of Egypt where he went to find protection from Herod's murderous plot. This prophecy was also written about 760 years before Jesus arrives and Jesus fulfills it. Matthew points to it, Herod denies it. He doesn't believe it. He can't put it all together that this actually is Jesus. Verse 18, 650 years before Jesus, we read this final prophecy in our scripture today. A voice is heard in Ramah, Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This reference to Rachel is really a reference to the generational existence of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rachel is the wife of Jacob, and out of these three patriarchs, the entire nation of Israel is born. And this nation is to be a blessing to all other nations, and in this prophecy, what we're hearing is uh, an attempt to snuff that out, to, to crush it. It happened first, well, not first, it happened multiple times, but in this reference, Uh, when the people of Jerusalem were sent in exile to Babylon for 70 years, they all walked to the city of Ramah. And as they walked, they left a trail of tears, weeping for what they were losing, the cutting off of this generational blessing now because they're going into captivity. And it also refers here to this murderous plot of Herod to kill all of these baby boys. And it's all right in front of Herod. All of these prophecies that have been there for all these years that the people in his town are aware of, they know it, yet Herod blinds himself from knowing the truth. His ego wouldn't allow the truth to be true. Because if it was true, he'd lose his kingship because the true king of the Jews had been born. And as I was studying this, this idea uh, that hit me from the Holy Spirit, which is Simple. I just put it in a sentence like this. Truth, because it's old, does not stop existing as truth. Truth, just because it's old, doesn't mean it's no longer true. Herod had these prophecies, which is the truth from God's mouth. He didn't believe any of them and turned a blind eye to all of them and lived in deception. And as a result, he missed the actual king of the Jews. Just a question for each of us. 
How do you see this book, the Bible? Is it old? Is it antiquated? Does it run up against your ego and say things that make you go, man, I, that's the truth, but I don't like that truth. As I was praying and writing this message, I said, Lord, are there some old truths that we have forgotten that we don't apply anymore to our lives? And he downloaded some things to me that I think are for somebody here in the room. It may just be for one person, each of these, but there's three that I'm gonna hit real quickly. Some truths about relationships. As I prayed about it, I felt like the Lord said, do not make revenge your business, but let the Lord avenge you. Here's the old truth written 2,000 years ago or so. Do not take revenge, Romans 12, 19, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. As you enter the holiday season and you bumping up to some old relationships, the Lord says to us, it's not our job to revenge. It's our job to love, to forgive, to serve, to hug, to give grace, to be merciful. And where there's error in the other person, let the Lord deal with it. It's his to avenge. It's his to handle. Give that person over to God. That's an old truth that's still truth. Somebody may need to hear that today. How about financial? Anyone here having financial problems? You don't have to raise your hand. There's an old truth in the Bible, Malachi chapter three, verse 10, that says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The old truth of the Bible says that we are to tithe. And when we tithe, the Lord blesses all of our life, not just our money, but every area of your life is touched when you obey God in the tithe. That's an old truth. It died in the Old Testament, even though Jesus in the New Testament says you tithe as you should. But we disregard it because it's old. It's antiquated. We've, we follow the deception conspiracy and turn our minds from it because we don't like that truth for whatever reason. Maybe that's speaking to one person in here only, and if so, the Lord be praised. Finally, decision-making. Anyone here, don't have to raise your hand, have a big decision you're needing to make. Something about a job, something about having another child, adopting a child, something about going back to school, moving. I don't want to say that one because it means somebody will move. I don't want anyone to move, but maybe. Proverbs chapter three, here's some old wisdom. Verses five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. This is a kingship verse. If we trust in Jesus as king, if we lean into his wisdom, then he will make our paths straight. Instead of leaning into our own wisdom, the wisdom of social media, the wisdom of CNN and Fox News, the wisdom of Oprah and Phil and you name it, like all of that wisdom bows down to the wisdom of the true king. Lean on him, trust in him, and then make your decision, amen? Amen. That's the deception conspiracy. Believing that the truth is not the truth. When John chapter eight says, when you know the truth, it is then that you will be set free. Then you have the control conspiracy. Everyone say control. Control. Herod constantly feared that people were trying to take over his throne to the extent that he had one of his wives murdered 
because he thought she was conspiring. He thought she was conspiring against him. Then after that, he had three of his sons killed for the same reason. And then after that, he had another one of his wives killed for the same reason. And then after that, he had his mother-in-law killed for the same reason. Who would ever think of killing their mother-in-law? Don't answer out loud. And then we have this horrible, horrific, verse 16, where Herod orders that all the boys under the age of two in and around Bethlehem be murdered. Why? Because Herod doesn't want to relinquish control. And you think about it for a second. If Herod only knew who Jesus really was and what Jesus could have really done for his kingdom, and instead of having Jesus murdered, which he failed at doing, receiving him as king, what it would have meant for him personally, what it would have meant for the people of Jerusalem to have their true and rightful king in place, peace, order to the region. Now, I'm gonna assume that you've never attempted to kill Jesus yourself. You've never attempted to do that because uh, it's just not something that's possible. I mean, he's not on the earth today. However, I wonder if there's ever been a time you've tried to snuff Jesus out of your life. When you ever wanted to say, hey, I'm not sure that I want to hear the truth because the truth will then cause me to be responsible to do something. There's an accountability that'll happen if I hear the actual truth. So I'm not going to go to church because I'm afraid I'm going to hear something that's going to cost me something. I'm not going to read the word of God because I'm afraid Jesus is going to ask me to do something. I'm not going to pray and listen because I'm afraid he's going to hold me accountable to his truth. And here's the deception of the whole thing. Like Jesus's way is the way, but the enemy wants us to believe that it's not the way. And so he begins to fill us with these lies and these mistruths that have nothing to do with the actual way of living. It'd be kind of like this, this, if this sounds confusing to you. It, let's say you had a pain in your stomach, right? And you hear that there's a doctor who's on the earth who could heal you of your stomach, but it may mean surgery. It may mean dieting. It may mean you have to change the way that you eat completely for the rest of your life. No more donuts, no more fried foods, no more pizza. And because you don't like the answer or the way that brings the remedy, you send out an order for somebody to wipe out this doctor so that you never have to deal with the truth. It's what Herod's doing in the scripture. And it's what we do when we want to avoid the truth that could actually set us free. Just, let's get rid of that. I don't don't want to deal with that. When I was uh, having some pain in my tooth, I went to the dentist about a year ago and she said, you have a cavity, we need to fill it in. And then I went from the dentist chair to the financial chair, they do this now at the dentist office, right? And they say, okay, we're gonna do the cavity, it's gonna be like these millions of dollars, not really. But in my mind, it's like, that's a lot of money. I'm just not gonna chew on that side of my mouth anymore. I'm gonna chew on, oops, on this side of my mouth. And so that's what I did for another six months or so until the pain over here was so bad, I went back, I'm like, I I give up, I gotta have the cavity filled in. And the dentist said, too late. (laughs) You now need a root canal. 
So I could have listened to the truth early, could have had the pain dealt with early, but I didn't like the truth, so I snuffed it out. And then the root canal came. And in my mind, everyone says root canals are horrifically painful. That's what I'm believing. And so the first thing out of the dentist's mouth is like, hey, they've changed root canals. There's so, there's no problem anymore. It's incredible when you go in and you get this root canals, you're gonna feel some pressure, but that's it. It'd be amazing. So I go to the root canal office. <laughs> Trauma. So they put me in the chair, they do the little shot things, and then they start drilling. And it feels like somebody's jamming scissors down into my gum. And I'm like writhing in my seat and I'm thinking, okay, this is what people are talking about when they say that root canals are painful. This, is, this must be what they're talking about. It got so bad, the pain, like I'm turning white as a ghost, I'm sweating, and I'm, I'm literally about to pass out in the chair. And they notice it. They're like, are you okay? They got, you, they got their mouth like wide open. And then she's like, can you feel that? I'm like, I mean, it was the worst pain I've ever experienced, I think, in my life happening to my gum. And I just thought this was normal root canal pain. Well, for whatever reason, they didn't numb me enough. Like they thought they had, but they hadn't. And so I was feeling all the pain, trauma, eventually get the thing. It cost me like $3,000. I tell you this whole story to say, if I just listened to the truth early, if I just listened to the truth the first time it was spoken to me and not delayed, what would have changed? I'm wondering today if the Lord has already given you directive that you are delaying. And he's saying, do it now. It just gets worse. Obey now. Do it now. Do it now. Here's the last one. Legacy conspiracy. People love a good conspiracy theory. I mean, when I talk, talked about all these ones, we're kind of laughing and giggling, but the people eat them up. So if you have a conspiracy, whatever you're peddling, you're gonna find a buyer. And that matters because what you're peddling may be damaging, may actually hurt somebody, that you believe something to be true and you're telling it to them and they follow you along in it and then it turns out to not be true and you're hurting them. This is what Jesus said about false conspiracies. Luke chapter 17, verses one and two, this is heavy. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. It's gonna happen, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus is saying if you falsely lead somebody into a conspiracy theory that causes them to wander away from the truth, it'd be better for you to be plunged into the sea and to die. Unfortunately for Herod the Great, this is exactly what he's done. His legacy of denying the truth lived on in his sons and his grandsons. Enter Herod Antipas. Antipas, I don't know how to say it, but we'll say Antipas. Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. He's one of four people that Herod's kingdom was divided between. They call them tetrarchs after that. Maybe you read the scripture and saw the word tetrarchs. It's these four people that Herod the Great's kingdom got divided between. One of them is Herod Antipas. And he's in charge of the region of Galilee, where Jesus is from. And uh, he's the guy that had an illicit relationship with his brother's wife. Her name is Herodias. And John the Baptist called him out for it. He's like, hey, man, you should not be having this relationship. 
with your brother's wife. So what did Herod Antipas do? He had John arrested, he put him in prison, and eventually, you know the story, Matthew chapter 14, he had Jesus beheaded. Jesus, John. Woo. John beheaded. This is that Herod Antipas. This is also the same Herod that when you read in Luke chapter 22 verse uh, and 23, where Pontius Pilate has Jesus in trial, they're trying to figure out what to do with him. Pilate's like, I don't know what to do with him. Then he hears that Jesus is a Galilean. So he's like, wait, Herod's in charge of Galilee. So he sends Jesus to Herod. And Herod is there like, woo, I've been wanting to meet you, Jesus. I've heard all about you. I heard about these miracles you've been doing. So like, perform for us, miracle boy. Do something like magic. They put his fancy robe on him and make him look strange. Jesus just stands there stoically, does nothing. Herod gets bored of him and sends him back to Pontius Pilate. What he had not learned or had learned, either way, Herod the Great had not taught him anything about Jesus, who he was. He informed him that maybe he was nothing. And now this is passed on to him and he's part of the legacy of Jesus being led to his crucifixion. It's been passed along. Jesus is just a sideshow freak, a carnival animal waiting to perform these miracles. If only Herod the Great had told Herod his son who Jesus was. Here's the point. People are listening to you. People hear what you have to say and respond to your influence. It could be your family members, your children, it could be your coworkers, could be whoever it is that you have influence over in your life. And the question that raises from us is will they see based on the way that you live and speak that Jesus is a conspiracy, a false narrative passed on by a heretical, a heretical church, hypocritical church, or will they see that he's a king? This is the legacy that you get to leave, that he's actually Messiah, that the prophecies were actually fulfilled in him. That is moving and changing your life. There's one single conspiracy that kind of underlines everything else. And here it is, is that Jesus can't solve the problem. That Jesus isn't the remedy for the issue. That Jesus isn't a restorer of that which is lost. That's the conspiracy. They've changed John chapter 14, verse 6, that says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And now the conspiracy, the way that it's been changed by the deceiver in the world is that there are ways, there are truths, there are lives. There are other solutions. There are other redeemers, other restorers, other remedies than Jesus. That's the lie. Herod believed that he was the way, the truth, and the life. So he did everything that he could to keep it in control. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Here's what happens. When we believe there's more than one way, more than one truth, more than one life to live, we build a structure around a false truth. And we live our lives standing upon that false truth, that there's another way other than Jesus. I can figure out this relationship in my way. 
I can figure out my finances in my way. I can make decisions in my way. We build up these structures and then the structure gets put to the test. It comes under fire. And every time these false structures crumble. Timothy Keller, famous theologian, preacher, he said these words, anxiety, which we're experiencing more and more in our generation, is the result of a collapsing false God. In other words, whatever you've built your life on, when it collapses, because it isn't the answer, it isn't the truth, it isn't the way, when it collapses, anxiety arises. <clears throat> Jesus has come this Christmas as the truth that sets us free. Jesus has come this Christmas as the way that leads to life. And so I'm just imagining that whatever it is that you're walking through, you turn away anything other than Jesus. You don't snuff out the truth. You recognize that old truth is still truth and it's time to obey it now, 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 not to delay and receive it in your life. And the result is the abundance that God promises. That's the gift. It's the reason Jesus came at Christmas and it's for anyone who would open it and receive it. Can we just pray today? Would you just open up your hands like this as if to receive a gift? Father, we bless you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you are true, that you are the one that the prophets spoke of, that you came to earth to redeem, to restore. You are the solution. You are the remedy. God, we cast out all lies from the deceiver, all his conspiracies to make us believe that you're not who you say you are, that your word is not true. And instead, we receive from you your truth. God, I just see you placing truth in the hands of all the faithful here today. A directive from your mouth to their hearts that you're saying, this is the way, walk in it. And God, that you would give courage to every person in the room, whatever the situation they're in, to obey immediately. Anything other than immediate obedience is disobedience. So Lord, we'll be a church that obeys you that walks from this place with a directive from your heart, from your word, from your lips. And God, I declare that it is truth. And that truth sets people, every person in this room, who's willing to obey, it'll set them free. Thank you for the gift of freedom this Christmas. Thank you for the gift of Jesus this Christmas. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Would you thank the Lord for me this morning? God bless you.